Hey everybody, Shop Talk Show number 269. I think we're going to call this the last rapid fire. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Not that it's nothing's going to change all that much. Just, you know, just a naming thing. Uh, we're going to do some questions from y'all. We're going to talk about like, like piecing in React or a JavaScript library a little bit to an app, but like not all the way. Is that even possible? Uh, we're going to talk about uh, uh, mentorship and interns a little bit. We're going to talk about it's 2017. What's what is like handling images in a good way look like now? Is it different than previous years? Uh, uh, what the heck is the Jam Stack? Is another one we'll talk about and whether we like it or not, and like tangents and all the stuff we normally do here on Chop Duck Show. Mister Dave, please kick thing. <gasps> Hey there, Shopper Maniacs. You're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show. Thanks for subscribing in the chat. Be sure to sub, hit the Patreon. Thanks, chat. All right, Chris, I'm live streaming this today. Thanks for the subs. All right, Patreon. Give them an emoji in the chat, chat. Okay, chat. <laughs> the, new, the new show. <laughs> yep, new coming style. at you. Coming at you hot. Yeah, man. What's happening, Chris? Was it wait, we uh, today? Uh, no guests in the studio here. No, and you know what? Studio. Maybe we should just do this thing, Dave. We talked about it a little bit, but let's just pull the trigger on it. We're gonna call this episode number two hundred and sixty-nine. Oh, we're getting old, man. Um, Oof. rapid fire. We're gonna call it a rapid fire because all we're gonna do is questions of a random sort from our pile of question lists. A Thanks so much to everybody who writes in questions too. We really appreciate that. Please keep doing that forever. But maybe we were kind of thinking that, like, we're going to start, like, maybe picking questions more, like, on a theme and give each show a name, you know, like a lot of other podcasts do. It just feels, it started to feel weird to me to call this episode 269, rapid fire number 58 or something like 90. Okay. (laughs) 90, almost 100. You know, like, this is just the style of the show. Like, let's just give every show a name, whether we have guests or not. And uh, that'll just be it going forward, rather than calling it rapid fire. We haven't done the noises in forever. We haven't been doing, you know, the soundboard thing. It's just like, let's just call it a show, a show. And sometimes we'll have guests and sometimes we'll not, but we'll always do questions. And that's that. So this is going to require a lot of planning. This is going to require a lot more planning on our part. So I think (laughs) I I hope you listener realize how much we're putting into this. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think this uh, might be my first new shop talk show with all my new gear too. And yeah, episode. dude, you're sounding pretty uh, deep and, and boomy. I hope so. I, I I haven't had it like professionally looked at yet. Now you know I took Chris N's recommendation about all the stuff he said to buy and got it all hooked up, and I'm loving it so far. Although I haven't had him take a like a relook at it yet, so apologies if anything isn't quite perfect yet. Hopefully, I sound a little bit better to y'all out there. I'm also using a little bit different recording stuff here. So let's just kind of cross our fingers and hope it goes okay. Um, we got a whole a whole mailbag full of stuff, though, I guess we could get into. Oh, man, yeah. I'm jealous of your little compressor thing. I just, I really just want the knobs and switches. I don't, like, necessarily want more things to plug into my computer, but no. I want Remember I want when we were talking about not so long ago, like, let's get all these wires off the desk? Like, I yeah. keep making progress there and then and then losing progress at the same you time. Want, you want to know what happened to me there, Chris? What's that? 
I have this beautiful Microsoft Surface ergonomic keyboard that I love. The new, the new one, the gray one with the, and and you had problems with it because it was a little latent. Like I love that keyboard, but yeah, it's, it caused enough tiny little problems that I switched back to the ergonomic four thousand. Mm-hmm. But I love it, and but I picked up a bit of a gaming habit. Uh, and so I now have a gaming keyboard, a gaming mouse, and a gaming mouse pad. And in in addition to my ergonomic, because I can't I can't actually code on that that gaming keyboard. Uh, but I had I've doubled or tripled the number of wires of my sleek, yeah. efficient, beautiful setup. And um, we just I, can't uh, get rid of the wires, man. It's just too hard. You just can't. <clears throat> and so it's just not fair. Uh, but hopefully you know, someday I'm, our kids will laugh at us that we had wires or whatever. But. I just want like a really nice desk that handles this for me. You know, I have this like, you know, cool, whatever, ergo desk or right, standing a desk. desk that, like but, the cords like just squish into it and disappear or something. Yeah. There's some desks that have a little gutter on the back. And I'm like, I actually have that. that. And I don't, I don't have it set up right, which is, ridiculous. oh my God, I want it. I just want a gutter. Could somebody start a gutter side startup that's just gutters for, de- for desks? I'll buy. I'll buy. I'll be your first customer. So, hey, Chris. Yeah. Some questions, shall we? Let's do it. Brian Pierce writes in after listening to the Netflix react show. I was wondering if you have done any discussion with developers who have integrated pieces of react or angular into a website and if it's a good idea. More directly, I'm thinking of shopping carts for e-commerce. The data binding and routing elements of a JS framework there seem extremely beneficial, but I don't see the need to build an entire single page app for it. I don't, I can't, I can't speak to this as an absolute expert, of course. Um, But I'll, I can say I do a little bit of experience with, I was, in the early days of me like trying to understand what React was or everything and, and just discussions with our team about it, I was under the impression that it would be possible slash probable to piece in a little bit of React into an app. Be like, oh, this widget is React-powered, but the rest of it is just like regular, like generated HTML, whatever that comes from the server. I think that's possible. I, you know, like I... I but I think the reality of it is that it doesn't feel that good and it ends up being pretty complicated and it turned out to be compelling to us just like, nah, we're just not going to do it. We're going to have div ID equals app or whatever and this whole page is going to be React rendered. And we did not choose to like half and half it anywhere. Like if we're using React, the whole dang thing is generated by React. Even if it's a static component, it just felt better to generate the thing in that way because our like the asset pipeline kind of stuff is a little different in React land, and the hot module reloading is different, and the just like it just ended up just like no, just build the stupid page and in, in, all in React. I don't know. I I don't know. Like I I've never I don't have experience knowing someone talking someone working with a product in which they half and halfed it. Although I suspect mm-hmm. you kind of could. Have you half and halfed it? No, no. I, I think you kind of described it, but I, I think you hit the slippery slope of React really quick. Because um, you start, you know, maybe you're working on this main component. I, I built this app that was um, uh, more or less like West Boss's <laughs> fish app tutorial thing that he did. Oh, I, I just course. finished that. I watched every single one of them. And it really was good because it wasn't, he really touched on a lot. 
Yeah. Well, so basically it was this, uh, you know, kind of a chat powered app that, that would update based on things that happened in a Slack chat. So it was kind of a web app that was powered by a Slack chat. Okay. Um, so, so what I, we realized was we were doing it all static, you know, just straight, you know, querying the database, spit out the page, query the database, spit out the page. But what we realized was chat is a very, you know, kind of uh, real-timey thing. So our app needed kind of a real-time flavor. So that's how we got into React. Got into React, and it was it was good. It was, but like you, we could have done that that first component or just the, the kind of content that needed to update. Okay. But, you know, you're paying a big expense for including React or any kind of framework on your page. Um, you have, but I think the, the slippery slope specifically is you have watch tasks like you're building your site with something and then you like have to build react to like you could maybe like throw in another thing in your gulp thing but like man you just yeah, kind of like true. i'm like, here say i changed some html or css or whatever that's related to the not react stuff and then i'm changing stuff that does relate to react yeah there's like two different processes watching it so just development complicates a little bit that's a good point or maybe a lot of it. Maybe it's even irreconcilably weird. <laughs> right. Well, and then I wanted to use, do like a universal app. Like I want React to render to string um, on the client side so that right, we get the right, fastest right, right. page possible. I just watched uh, one of those Glenn Mattern videos, um, front and center. I think his latest video was about React Snapshot, which does a good job of that kind of render to string thing to get that server rendered uh, look at your you know, all yeah. this JSX powered stuff. And it looks really, really compelling in that way. So that, yeah, that complicates it even more. The best thing I found on it was a 24 ways article from like two or three years ago. And well, watch this. Did thing, it, you'll but, love it. Glenn does okay. it like amazing videos. Uh, uh, another thing is the, is the, is the URLs. Like if you have any kind of react handled URL situation, then you're, if you're half and halfing it, like, what do you do? Do you just say like, no, react doesn't do URLs at all. Those are, we just mm-hmm. do URLs the classic old school click a link way. That seems like mm, not great. And then, like, what if you, but you do want URLs, then do you have like the router in two places? Which, like, if you've been listening to the show for a long time, that has like perplexed the Chris for a long time is this like, what about a router that works both server side and client side? It like doesn't seem to exist and it freaks me out. Yeah. Yeah. I think the thing I'm, I, I think. I think React just—it's a slippery slope, and you start just kind of—and that's why people are doing CSS in React because they're just like, "Well, I'm already—I already got all this stuff here, you know. Like, I'm doing the routing, I'm doing the server side generation, the includes, the everything. I might as well. But uh, what I—I I do think the the piece. I think you said it in a recent CSS tricks article, but the the piece, uh, the magic technology is Redux in in the state stuff, and that's the stuff. I think that a shopping cart could benefit from. I think, you know, anytime you click a button and add to cart and like you want that little cart to update its number or its price, I think like the the global state object in in the way that's handled is kind of the magic. And I think that's sort of right. what I think that's what what most sites could benefit from. Um, again, you don't really want the single page app. I, I understand that in very much so because Putting that into like a magento sounds awful. Um, so I think you you like getting this kind of single state object kind of working. I think that's going to be a huge deal um, 
kind of for e-commerce so that, you know, you click that add to cart button, the add to cart button automatically updates. That's been happening for a long time, but kind of in a real, in my opinion, like a really like rough way, like, like you use some dark magic to make that happen. So I think Redux is a really good pattern for that. And other things on the cart could respond to a page, you know, you, you could like anytime something's this cart gets updated or this component updates, you know, you could go fetch, like, did it match a promo code or did it, you know, lots of different things or recalculate shipping, all that stuff. You can kind of have a way more, I don't know, kind of real time thing. You could all like prefetch shipping, maybe if you knew Mm. the zip code, but anyway, um, this is freaking me out. You gotta, I gotta just change gears. I need some CSS advice, Dave. Okay, hit me. Hit you me. ready? Hit me, boss. Oh, this is, this is, there's a lot going on here, right? So I'm working on, I'm going to, I'm leaving on tomorrow night to go to Amsterdam for CSS Day. Can't wait. Doing a brand new talk on, uh, it's kind of based on CSS shapes. So, like, first of all, what does that mean to you when you hear that? Um, you know, boxes. Mostly, that's the only shape that CSS really does. So, but like, yeah. it's an actual Squares. spec, right? Like it. To, so, it, um, that's that's right. funny that you know because it's true, and and you can like fake creating shapes with like you know border radius and like rotations and stuff like that. That's kind of not what I'm talking about. I'm kind of talking here's, about yeah. Here, here's your talk. Yeah. CSS shapes. Next slide. A square. I'm done. Thank you, everybody. That's what CSS. Amsterdam's <laughs> wonderful town. Oh, I should totally steal that. It's pretty good. <laughs> Rectangles and squares. That's what the web is known for. Yeah. Just rectangle square and then maybe a diamond because you can rotate. Yeah. And maybe a circle. Maybe an ellipse. Yeah. With uh, radius. So there's like functions built into CSS these days, like circle with parentheses, like literally a CSS function called circle. And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, what, what can you do with circle? Well, mm-hmm. it, it's accepted as a value to a couple of different properties. One of them being um, like shape outside, which is like if you float an element, you can use shape outside to like chip away at it so that the things that float around it follow this shape, not the original rectangular shape that it is. So that's mm-hmm. kind of cool. It's not like super mega duper useful, but it's cool for like the magazine layout type of stuff. It's a nice little touch, right? It also can be used for like clip path. So if you have like an image and you want to um, cut it into a polygon, polygon parenthesis parenthesis is a CSS shape. And it takes mm-hmm. points and you can chip away at an element based on the numbers in it. Okay? Uh-huh. I'm still uh-huh. working on where I'm trying to ask you what's going on here. So there's another one called path. And that's the one that I think is the coolest because of course path in SVG is like the ultimate element that can draw anything. It can draw circles and all the, and literally anything. It's all just sugar for path, but you make no, like a Batman style bamf graphic. Absolutely. You could, cause path can draw anything. So why not support it everywhere too? But whatever, mm-hmm. that's shape outside doesn't support path. Clip path but, doesn't support path. But uh-huh. there's a few things that do support path. One of them being offset path. Offset path is a way to have an element travel along like a, a, a path which could be curves or straight lines or whatever. Like I said, path can draw anything. So, so let's say I have a little, you know, a little race car and I want it to move around a little fancy track. I can do that in CSS with offset path. Okay. Like on an animation or in only or just on in animation. general. 
Only yeah. on anime. I mean, that's okay. the whole point of it. It could be a transition. It could be a keyframe animation. It could be triggered with JavaScript or whatever. But the path is sitting there right in your CSS. You say, mm -hmm. this is the path that I want this thing to travel along as it moves. Okay. It, like a wave. it accepts path, but it accepts nothing else. Like a wave would be a great example. All right. Okay. Uh, okay. So, and I was thinking like, oh, let's put, let's put some together, some like classy examples for this. So, you know, what, what's, what, what gets designers more excited? Well, modals, <laughs> I don't know, you know, like, Dude. so like, all, obviously there's all these like examples of fancy modals. I think we've all seen ones that like appear to fall from the sky and they're, they're scaled up, but they scale down to scale one when they hit the page or they're blurry and they come in or they look like they have motion blur or something like that. We've all seen cool modal demos like that, right? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, this is code drop stuff right here. Ags, absolutely. And I love that stuff. Who doesn't? It's amazing. So I was like, oh, let's try, let's do one of those style modals with, um, with offset path because then the modal doesn't have to just come in at a straight angle. It could follow a little curve up, right? Cool. Like it comes under the page with a wave type motion or something like that. Like that's seems cool to me. So... I put that together, but offset path isn't supported in like a ton of browsers, right? It needs, I don't know, it's like pretty much Chrome only, I think. So you, mm -hmm. really, if you're doing this intelligently, it has to be able to leave and enter the page without needing offset path. It needs to have something else, like a, I don't know, just even just opacity if that changed to zero or some other way to hide itself other than just offset path. So you'd put it, you'd put all this offset path in something like at supports, at supports mm -hmm. offset rotation or some some property that makes sense to bury it in. But then also, I, I so I tweeted this this morning, and I was like, cool, I'm pretty happy with this demo. And somebody also mentioned, oh, you should probably use the the reduced motion media queries. Have you seen those too? Mm -hmm. Which is mm -hmm. like, you know, if, if you say at media prefers reduced motion, you should put CSS in there that, it literally has reduced motion because the user has literally signified that they would prefer less movement and stuff in the web app. And this is, you can actually test on this. I don't know how you do it on Windows. I assume there's some kind of way, but in the way that you can test this on, on Macs is to go into system preferences and then this works, you set it at the OS level and then browsers that support it, support it, which is Safari and Chrome at least. Under accessibility settings, under display, there's a little checkbox for reduce motion. Uh, and you don't even have to refresh the page. Like if you click that on, the media query hits. If you click it off, the media query doesn't hit. So it's pretty easy to test, actually. But then it's like, it gets complicated because it's like, now you have these like nested rules. You have an ad supports rule and a media thing. And like even in SAS, it doesn't know how to like, unnest those things like it just leaves them nested and then they don't work and it's like how, how do you nest at supports and media like correctly dude uh not joking i have this on my desktop open right now <laughs> and i i yeah i went with at supports position sticky or position web stick kit sticky and then i have a at media max width 60m so basically it's like i only want to do this if it's position sticky and I only want to do this if it's under like tablet and or only Can tablet you nest and them? Is nesting fine nesting works okay so maybe I just wrote it incorrectly then because that what I was putting is not preferred reduce motion because I, I wanted like the opposite of it but maybe not doesn't work with it uh yeah like 
Yeah, I I think so. I like I thought I found a browser bug and I was like, I am the best American developer, best developer on the planet. I figured out a browser bug. But so I I don't know what it is, but it it does work. But like my first go at it, it was like not working. And so I don't I mean, I I hate to like cite like bad Jojo as like the the answer to this problem, but um it, it did not work for me. So um uh yeah. So what but we're well same then I yeah I, but it it is working now and um in it let me see let me see let me I'm gonna find I made a code pen here's how I here's how I find I, things I find it very strange that you were working with this the same morning I was working with it oh yeah I'm I'm fixing a thing but you know I I have problems with um you know this is tricky because you're now in like double state or double. Yeah, it's a state like this browser does support this and it is this, you know, kind of, you know, on this, uh, this, this media or like, but, but I think it's smart to test the feature and then write the code for that feature, write the rules for that feature. Um, I just wish I had the like epic bug report that I was going to like, just, just change the world. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, it was, it was a, uh. Yeah, here it is. Let's see it here. I'll post it in our in our chat. But it do, it really I think it should should work. I, I just made a reduced test case. And, and this doesn't work or does work? Um it does work. It should work. So All right. um uh yeah, Supports I just like stinky. Oh, you put the supports on the outside. I had the media query on the outside. I'm, no, I think I think supports is gonna have to go on the outside. But I don't. I may be wrong. But oh, well, that flip. solves my problem. Thank let's you. let's flip these and see if it works. Uh, this is the worst radio, but we're doing it I, anyway. Anyway, we're do- anyway. Let's go back to. <laughs> can we go back to shapes real quick? Real quick, back to shapes. Oh uh, no, okay. I had supports on the outside. Just kidding. Yeah, let's go back to shapes. I don't know. I, I boiled it down to a reduced test case, Chris, and I found my answer, and I was not as like problem stricken as as before. But back to shapes. So. My problem with shapes, and maybe you have some tricks like this, is, you know, I was doing like the whatever text flows along the neck of a giraffe, you know, that that kind of classic example. Which is one of the things um, I'm mad about because a shape of a giraffe would be a path because it would be curved, but shape outside doesn't support <clears throat> path. So you have to fake it with points of a polygon or use, anyway, that's yeah. my whole talk next week. Um, anyway, tell me. Well, so you, you do this, but or next to the draft neck. And, and so the text should, when they collide, as you squeeze the browser down, the text should start flowing around the draft's neck. My, my issue was like, you know, like fallbacks or whatever it is like, you just have to do like padding, right? 5,000 you know, <laughs> pixels. Like you have to like do a bunch of padding just to make sure the fallback doesn't work. But now that I'm thinking about it in terms of is the way you get around it using supports then like if it supports this now do this whole other set of rules. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Gosh, I should have figured that out, but I was like failing. I was just like, it's, 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 Every time the draft shows up, the text does not flow how I want it to. But uh, even on mobile, it was like getting weird too. I just, it was, I wasn't having a good time with it. And so I even tried like a fake div, like a, it's a weird because maybe I need to see another demo of it because I, I sort of lost the plot a little bit there. I'm sorry. Yeah. But, yeah. I, but, but yeah, I don't know. A lot of times it's paired. What's interesting is that it often like hangs out with clip path too because you have this image of a draft and, 
you need to the, the giraffe isn't automatically on a white background a lot of times you know you're also clipping the element as you're clipping it and <sighs> yeah it's a lot to think about this is a, i wish i could see this talk because it it sounds like there's a lot going on yeah i think shape path it has limited value it's kind of neat but not really i think clip path has more value ultimately to the world because you could clip anything anything right you could put that wave on a modal so the header of your modal looks like a wave again it doesn't support freaking path so there's that and it doesn't even let you use url to point to an svg path which is obnoxious but then there's this thing called mask dave which does allow you to point to an svg file uh, but the problem is it has to be a file. It can't be like an on-page, like referenced piece of SVG, really. And, uh, and mask just is inherently different. And, oh, God. It's, it's just a, I wouldn't call it a mess. It's just hard to wrap your head around. Yeah, what's the, or is it just like a bunch of browsers with a bunch of competing features and a bunch of competing technologies like SVG, HTML, CSS, kind of, or like, <laughs> like what? Is it just is it just kind of a, a a no man's land or whatever like that people just kind of like making stuff up or I don't uh, maybe yeah. so the point is like what's funny about my doc is that I, I show all this compatibility charts between all these features and what they what sub features they support and don't support assuming that you're in a browser that quote unquote supports all this stuff so like I'm not even factoring in the more the more higher level, like, does the browser support shape outside at all? I'm like, assuming it does support shape outside, even then it's complicated. Which, that's what I think is like, oh, this job is totally hard. <laughs> <laughs> Our job is difficult. Well, cool. Okay, that was a total aside, but I just happened to have that tab open, and I was like, what's up with this media query stuff? Let's do another one. I got, uh, let's see, RJ? RJ. RJ May writes in uh, uh, six months ago, got a great new job as the only developer at a manufacturing company. Okay, so riding solo. That's cool. This has been a wonderful experience so far. Halfway in, my boss asked me if I'd be interested in having an intern. I jumped at the opportunity since I enjoy teaching and we have a few big projects coming up. My intern started this week and uh, so far things are going great. However, I'm concerned about being a good mentor for him. Uh, He's going into computer science. I'm mostly a self-taught dev. To my knowledge, there isn't a lot of overlap between a CS degree and the type of working type of work we'll be doing, mostly just WordPress development. My understanding is that CS students do a lot of algorithms and very theoretical stuff. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but here we're pretty focused on just making websites. How can I be a good mentor to him? Or am I wrong about CS degrees? Uh, don't know exactly. I, I took a bunch of... Uh, programming classes in college, but it was not under the CS banner. It was, I had a slightly different name called Management Computer Systems, not Computer Science. Mm. Um, I, at first glance, uh, before I pass it off to you, Dave, I'll say, isn't that kind of sweet that he, the, this student is getting experience in kind of both of those worlds? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, um, yeah, like, I, I think this student will be able to, like, make their mind up about web dev i mean it, even if they get a cs degree the majority of your work is in web development is going to be like hammering templates and, and like figuring chasing down javascript and figuring out css i think that's like that's how websites are built so i i think like it's some good working knowledge uh regardless that's it he, he's 
if he's CS, he probably is coming at it more from the like code problem solving angle. So maybe, you know, I mean, if there's a, a, a thing you've kind of punted on as like the self-taught dev, like, oh, I don't want to do this, you know, big whatever module that calculates our shipping or I'm just throwing stuff out here because it's a manufacturing company. But like maybe you've been punting at that, um, you know, like maybe let him or her sink their teeth into it, you know, and, and let them figure out what, you know, kind of these these kind of intense problems just you know, find find something that they may find interesting um, and and challenging. I think that's a good thing to do. I know a lot of internships. Uh, you know, they kind of do like a kind of like a what's I don't know, like a startup school kind of or whatever. It's kind of like let's build a product. You know, like and you you or or they'll build the Android app or something like that. So maybe there's something like that in there. Um, I'm currently working with this guy. Uh, who is way smarter than me. He has like a PhD in like bio or like medical PhD. He's like a literal doctor. Uh, he's a very smart guy named Julian. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm, it's like, I don't, you know, like uh, I don't, I, I don't really have much to teach him. He's like worked on satellites and programs in Java and stuff like that. But, you know, it's, I think it's all about like, you just finding people who are smarter than you and, and figuring out what you can teach. Maybe there's soft skills or maybe there's just kind of like, you know, learning how a business works is such a big part of, of working in a company. So maybe you can teach him how business businessing works. So I don't, I don't know. Again, I like, I'm not, we, we don't have a lot of employees under us, so I'm not sure we're the best, best fit here, but Chris, you have, you have smart smarties under you. A couple of thoughts are just like, I don't know, it seems kind of cool. For, like I already said, that uh, the idea that, that you're, you know, give them some real world kind of stuff, Dave's point, you're going to be hammering templates and you almost surely you will. There's kind of a moment at which, even if you've been hammering templates for 20 years, that like your your depth of knowledge limit, you know, sometimes I think a lot of self-taught people feel this way and it's probably like a little imposter syndrome and a little bit true is that you're like at some point your like depth of knowledge stops. Like if WordPress is, you know, like because that's literally what uh, uh, RJ said here is they, you know, basically bang out WordPress sites. WordPress is of ultimately there's some computer science happening there right like even yeah. in the, you can understand wordpress pretty dang well but there's probably very few people that like absolutely understand every possible path that data and information travels along in the the skeleton of wordpress land you know it's complicated and and uh, you know if you've been banging out templates for twenty years, at some point you you like understand some a lot of that ecosystem and a lot of the plumbing and stuff. But sometimes weird stuff happens, and your scope of knowledge just stops, mm. and that you yeah. you can't trace it anymore because you just don't get it. You like you don't. Get, and, yeah. and I would think that your intern, when they come back after having all this computer science training, could still be like, you know, it's fun to work on templates. I learned while working with you that. That what matters is the things that we produce, and you're producing things for clients, and that's cool, and I like that. But now I have this knowledge where I can probably trace that plumbing a little better than you can. And that's just one example. I think if you come back with some foundational computer science knowledge, that your ability to like dig into what the computer is actually doing is going to serve you well, whether you end up doing theoretical fancy 
stuff or or just banging on websites for clients. Yeah. Well, and God forbid this computer science student learns how to work on 25% of all websites, you know? <laughs> right. That, that's a, that's what a major bummer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I think that it's, you know. I hey. obviously remain fascinated in the WordPress thing, particularly because, like, it seems to go in waves where, like, WordPress hate is strong and then it kind of like fades away and then it comes back and fade, like everything there's a little roller coaster to it and I think at the moment it's not particularly strong. I mean there's certainly people out there that that chortle at it or whatever but it's like it's still under strong active development with a super healthy community and lots of great features and it's still just serving people super well. So I don't know what the next thing will come along that it's people hating on it again, but in my mind, it seems light on the hate at the moment. I think so. The main problem with WordPress that I experienced was I just used it kind of for everything or like I talked myself into it really quickly and 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 maybe it wasn't always well suited, but for a lot of things, it's very well suited. So I, I, that's anyway, that's you know what I, I, I weighed in on a little bit yesterday, Sunday, because I um. So if you go to CSS Tricks right now, the title of the article is A Little Example of Data Massaging. And it's the story of Shop Talk Show's site a little bit. Um, just this last little quote-unquote redesign we did and talking about kind of doing it from the inside out. The first subheader in this article is we had fallen into the classic WordPress trap. And it felt a little painful saying that, but I think it's true in that uh, the out-of-the-box WordPress CMS experience is like, here's a title, here's content, have at it, kids. And that is a trap. And that's mm-hmm. dangerous, Terry, to go down when you when you have really structured data, like we here at even shoptalkshow.com have, which is just mm-hmm. a little banger of a site, you know, comparatively to what most people work on. But we did not, it trapped us into not doing particularly well-structured content. And we had to then fight our way out of it. Like, not really WordPress's fault, because there's clearly ways to, to handle this. It's just we didn't, and uh, and we didn't, in a sense, because because WordPress didn't, like, force it or even necessarily encourage it. Well, and we had to, we had to kind of buy our way out of it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, Max Kohler came, came to our rescue here and, and just, like, uh, went through and was like, yeah, I'll put on some tunes and or whatever, and just right. go through all this and copy paste it all in the right place. And uh, thank you, Max, because that was awesome. And you know, now we're now we're got a way cleaner setup. And you know, I I almost enjoy posting shop talk. It used to be just dump it into the content body, but like now it's just like I just you know post it all into like each little block it's like this thing needs to say this thing it's like oh that's easy i know that so yeah anyway it's yeah the the having structure to our data is gonna give us a lot more for a lot more shop talk i don't know power so even finding things or searching things it'll it'll make a difference so Hey, I'm going to do a little shout out here for CodePen Teams. I want to explain one little thing about CodePen Teams. It's like, let's say you already have an individual CodePen account, like you use it, you log in and stuff. You can also be on a team. And when you're on a team, you toggle back and forth between using CodePen as the team that you're on or as yourself. So it's not like if you like go on a team, like you lost your sense of yourself on CodePen or whatever. 
you can switch back and forth. So let's say you already have an individual account. You're like, hey, maybe we should have this, you know, at school for our classroom, or maybe we should have this at work. All of us front end developers should, you know, have a, a you know, a team business account on CodePen or whatever it is. You can do that. And what's kind of cool is that then you can kind of like cancel your own code pen. It automatically, you know, if you upgrade your account to the leader of a team, you stop paying for your own pro account uh, uh, and pay for the team account and, every, and it's shared billing. So everybody on the team, there's just one bill and, you know, you put it on the company card or whatever and everybody gets pro. So the team is pro and it has all the pro features to speak to the team. And then when you're using CodePen individually, you're also pro. And so is everybody else on the team. So it's just pro all around, meaning you get a bunch of more projects and you can upload assets and you can use collab mode and you can use professor mode and live view and all the like pro things on CodePen your team has access to. And that also means you can like work on pens together and share your assets and all that stuff. And individually, you're all pros. So, uh, it's a cool deal. That's how CodePen teams work. Go to codepen.io slash pro slash teams to learn more. We've got like three, two questions here. So okay. <laughs> number three, let's not so rapid fire. Here we go. Nichelle uh, Prajapati writes in, uh, what is the best method for managing images on the web in 2017 in terms of web performance and reducing HTTP requests, uh, resource requests, i.e. SVGs, sprite images, uh, <laughs> media queries, picture tag, picture element. Yeah, there's a lot uh, here. And number two, does sprite, Spriting images have any relevant uh, relevancy in 2017 in terms of managing images? Not so much. Like it's it's not that hot of a technique anymore. That idea of squishing together like raster images onto one big grid, and I don't see that done a whole heck of a lot anymore. Although, who knows? You know, things have a way of kind of coming back. You know, like if icon systems like really small icons that like really benefited from the raster approach came back mm -hmm. in vogue. I could see them becoming more popular again. It just so happens that icon systems have become fairly ubiquitously vector across the web and people like that. And I approve of that and I am trying to charge that storm as much as possible. I think that's a fantastic way to go, but you know, everything goes around, comes around kind of thing. I could see if icons started to be really like, what was that word for, you know, replicating the stitched leather in web oh, or whatever? Uh, Skewmorphism. Yeah, if that came back in a heavy way, I could see spriting coming back. Because it is useful technique. It's just not that done that much anymore. So what's the best technique of managing images on the web in 2017? I would say automation would be big this year. Mm. Which is, managing images is complicated, and I want to outsource that intelligence to computers, whether that's at the in some combination of this is happening at the CSS level, the auto generation of multiple images and the output of the proper markup to handle that, i.e. responsive images, and at the possibly the image CDN level of, you know, having a service, please help me manage my images in the best possible way with the idea being I want to serve as few of them and as few pixels that looks good still as possible. So do you use an image service? Or are you on any of your sites? Like um, who call, what, the Cloudinary is one, um, WordPress Photon. Do you use anything like that? Um, yeah, I Photon is like the automatic 
bad. So it's even complicated. You know, speaking of WordPress again, we're just I'm just going to use it as an example because I know it. But there's a lot of CMSs that can do this kind of thing without anything turned on at all. You get some responsive images action in WordPress. It makes a couple of copies of your image for you and stores them to the server. And when and then it filters the output of your content. And if there's images in there, it will use the data and the pre-created images that it has to do responsive images. And responsive images is great that we can't really explain the whole thing just in this two seconds on this pocket. But the idea is that it serves the most correct possible image it can to a device so that if it's serving to a device that's 1x 320 pixels wide, it's not going to send a 2,000 pixel image down. Hopefully it can send something smaller than that, which is fantastic for performance. Mm-hmm. Okay, now you turn on Photon or whatever. I don't. You just get b- more and better of that, I think. Uh, I, right. I, I forget exactly what it does. Maybe it produces more of them. It uses more intelligence to create the images that it has. But it's like responsive images, like, uh, you know, on steroids a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, I've been... So here's my rule of thumb. SVG for small things. Yeah. Uh, PNG for flat things like flat complex things like some kind of big illustration or something like that and then the the, then jpeg or webp jpeg webp for uh photographs and then you want to use picture element if something's changing like like you you know you have two sizes of this image on mobile and desktop although i'm going to reiterate my stance here I'm not sure when X mobile is a thing. So right. don't get too, too, don't get too psyched out by that. Cause you're going to be like, oh, I'm going to make a 320 pixel graphic and no one's going to get it. And then, <laughs> so, uh, but then, um, the, but, but like art direction, you know, you want this, like you want it to be kind of square on desktop or a mobile. And then you want it kind of wide on, on desktop. I think that's like a very big thing for like hero units and things like that. I use picture element there a lot. Uh, the, uh, but I think there's things too, in terms of performance and all that stuff, enabling broadly, enabling HTTP two. So right, all those right, images, right. like all that stuff, I think has Back maybe better it. gains than than like you right you like right, right. pouring blood sweat and tears uh optimizing and then like you're saying like any kind of like automated thing i've been thinking about that too i would like to maybe automate or like move all the assets even on my my uh jekyll site i, I like kind of want to move them to like a image processing server oh like, dude that's like media dot so i Dave looked into Rupert this a little bit let me just interject photon is basically a cdn so, like, it doesn't really help with the responsive images so much, but it's a CDN, which is great, right? Okay, you're, Dave, you're talking right the perfect thing. And so, this last Friday, I sat down and talked about this for an hour with uh, uh, Eric Portis. You know, Eric from... Yeah, E. Portis, man. E, e-, e for Nikon. Yeah, he's at Cloudinary now. So, oh, uh, you know, not sponsored by Cloudinary. There's alternatives to Cloudinary. Imagix is one of them to look at. These, and they're, they're CDNs as well. So just using a service like this instead of, you know, and you can use them in such a way that it's just like an enhancement. For example, you just prefix the URL of your images with a, a URL that one of these services provide, and it goes and gets the image from wherever it is and then serves it out of its servers. Boom, now you're on a CDN, which is great. But it does what you're talking about, all this intelligent other stuff too, which is 
not to be discounted. It is mm-hmm. it is serving the right format of image to the right browser. That alone is huge. Mm-hmm. And the like yeah. cookie list stuff and the caching stuff, the gains there are just as big as the as the sending the right number of pixels to the browser. But then you, you can even level it up from there and say, I want these services to tell me how many different images I could create. Because you know what you and I don't want to do, Dave? Open up Photoshop and be like, well, I'm going to take this 1500 pixels and make it a, I don't know, a 1200, a 900, a 600, and a 300. And just guess at, at the different mm-hmm. sizes you should make. There'll be yeah. some benefits to that, but you're not using computer's intelligence to help make those decisions for you. These services have, at least Cloudinary, has an API thing that's like, throw us that image and we'll tell you the best possible images to make from that. Uh, and then it'll store them for you and it'll serve them to browsers with the, you know, it'll serve the perfect one to the right browser from a CDN in the right format. Like that stuff is massive. That's mm-hmm. 2017 and images. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, you know, these, those gains are kind of like, like going to be huge. Just how do you move it up the, uh, up the stack, you know, like how could I get a machine that does all this stuff for me? That's something to consider. I will say I've also taken it to the extreme optimization thing. I'll open up like a SVG, Chris, and it, and look at it or like a, x you know for close like a x svg and i'm like geez this is like 3k it should be like 25 bytes and so i like so i i'll like hand write svgs now just because i'm being stupid and i'm like i could do that with a circle not four points i'm just gonna write a circle so i'm getting stupid on my svg optimization but that's me so. I like the way you pointed out. Like, we don't need any of this stuff if you use SVGs. All that complicated stuff we talked about, you don't need multiple versions. You know, the, you can inline the mm-hmm. SVGs. You don't really need a CDN. All, all this stuff, like, that's one of the reasons I'm such a big fan of SVG is that it, like, all, a lot of this complication just kind of falls away. I will try to use SVG in, like, all circumstances. <laughs> you know, like, you, I almost have to talk myself out of it. So, yeah. All right, uh, Chris, we got time for one more maybe here before we got to get going. Um, it's and Adam Geis, or Geesey. Sorry, Adam Geesey. I messed that up. All right, here we go. Uh, I have been learning uh, recently about the Jam stack, JavaScript, APIs, and markup. I have never heard of this, Adam. So here we go. I can understand its appeals. Uh, I like the idea of serving static files from a CDN and using a microservice API for the functionality. What are your thoughts on building uh, on this approach to building web apps? So I, I, as he's explaining it, I mean, it should make sense. You have a JavaScript app, you ping some APIs, get data, right. spit out markup. So it's kind of like a static site generator. It's like a there's no database running on that server. Everything is client side, and it asks for everything from APIs yeah. through JavaScript. Yeah, and, and so unless like it's you already can, there in the markup. But yeah, but it's a static site generator. But all the dynamic stuff is JavaScript. Yeah, and you're putting you're just throwing these up on CDN. You know, it's super fast. It's no, no server generation. You're all all CDN. I like it. You know what? I I 
Uh, what I'm thinking about is this, but with web components. So like very formed web components so that instead of JavaScript bundling all together and, and getting munged together in some giant app, I can use web components and kind of lazy load, like using the link rel import thing. Like I can basically like, like assemble my pages on the fly with all the de- depths I need, like on the fly rather than kind of doing these gigantic JavaScript bundles, which are kind of intensive to old phones. So that's sort of what I'm thinking about is like getting these, uh, these, 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 this style, that, but with web components. So I'm going to call it Wecam, <laughs> I think is what we're calling it. I'm a big fan of this, of course. I mean, it, it it's aligned with CodePen's interests in a way. And that the oh, more yeah. absolutely fronty endy everything is, um, just that's just I think it's kind of nice for the web, and also uh, just e- easier to work on. <laughs> it starts having a more of a divide between front end and back end again in a way that I, I don't know. I guess yeah. it appeals to me a little bit. Well, there is the, like the one of the architecture decisions I'm working on uh, on this current site is how complete does the front end need to be? Like if you're having like integration issues into the, you know, Java system or whatever, what, you know, what has to change? And I'm wondering, you know, do, is it if you make these just kind of if it's all JavaScript or web components or whatever, like. Like those should be complete. Your front end is totally decoupled from whatever machine spits out the content. So I I think that's just beautiful. I mean, that's the whole like separation of concerns. <laughs> that's why blogs, I guess, all had MySQL databases in the nineties. I mean, um, or I guess early two thousands, because it was you were separating your content from your markup, and I think that was kind of amazing. Um, there's an amazing shift for the web. And I wonder if this is the next logical iteration, just that everything you're, you're that headless CMS situation. So I don't know. I, I think we're, we're here. The tools are getting easier. I think it's maybe. I'm, I made my first thing with uh stored some data in Firebase and I found it highly satisfying. I love Firebase. That's my go-to. Is it good? I, I thought it was really cool. Really nice APIs that are like set. This thing, and it's like at a path, kind of. And you're like, oh, that makes sense, you know? I like how it yeah. stores things at, like, the path level. Mm-hmm. Like, that's mm-hmm. clever to me. I didn't really realize it worked like that. You don't have to, but that's kind of like their all their demos are, like... No, it's really nice, because it's like almost you just drive down a folder structure to update the, the object you're looking for, so... It's cool. The only thing it doesn't really do is joins. That's what gets me every time, like... Like I want to join this user with this blog post. Okay, that, that's, that's interesting. And it uh, does it doesn't do like arrays or something too. Isn't there one other weird limitation? Yeah, you can't do arrays. So Mongo, you can push an array to a thing, and it's like, yeah, I'll figure it out. I'll just do you think some? Is it like but, fundamentally like that's like a design decision, or, or does it seem like a thing where like in a month they'll announce Firebase supports arrays now? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it should be, it should be able to return an array, but maybe the whole infrastructure thing, like with this URL, you can post to a thing. Like maybe that's, you know, maybe that's dependent on those being objects in there, like just a series of nested objects. But that's messed me up in the past because like I'll have this great array from some API and then it's like, oh, I got to loop through it and give all these keys or what, you know, like a for an ID or whatever in the, in an object. I got to like, map this array to an object so ugh. 
but um, yeah, it's not the end of the world. You can do it. <laughs> Fantastic. Gemstack, very cool. Big fan. It's, I wonder if, does it, inc- does it mean node to though or not? You know, cause it's like, jam- no, I mean, or in not. Theory, it, in theory, no. I mean, you can serve an, I an HTML like, file from a CDN that calls your JavaScript app, and then you. What done. do you do about the about the? This is the. I have this is a hot question that I need an answer to, and then we have to stop because we're running out of good time here. But but what about if you have no like 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 Express at the root or whatever? How do you deal with the URLs and how do you get them to start to serve that? one page you need them to serve in order for your like JavaScript framework thing to kick off, you know, without having to put a freaking hash in the URL, you know, like you need something at the server level to be like, I want you to serve this like same index file and I'll do the, like what I need to do with the URL to get you the right content and stuff. But like, yeah, but yeah, but I need something at that server level like how do you do the super nested url can you maybe yeah, you can do know. it at like the ht access level or there's some kind of nginx config that you can push that like does it yeah you probably need something like that but if you're i doubt the cdn lets you configure nginx so yeah i don't know how that works so uh-oh we broke it chris it's probably <laughs> anyway all right uh <laughs> I don't I don't know the answer. And I also worry about security. Like, are you just putting API keys in and just fetching data? Or like do you have your server kind of like locked down to only your CDN URL requests? So that's another thing I worry about. But for the most part, I think we didn't solve most all. of it is great. We had a lot of um, questions this week, although we do every week. We're gonna have to come up with a name for this episode. No, no, we're gonna still call this one rapid fire. This is the ra- last rapid fire, not so rapid fire, with four questions answered. So I, <laughs> we did it, Chris. We, we're 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 good at this rapid firing. So, all right. Well, hey, we should wrap it up because I gotta get going. So, <laughs> thank you everybody for listening and downloading this in your podcast of choice. Be sure to star heart favorite it up. That's how people find out about the show. Uh, yeah, uh, follow us on Twitter at Shop Talk Show for tens of tweets a month. And uh, yeah, also, if you hate your job, head over to shoptalkshow.com slash jobs. Get a brand new one because people want to hire people like you. And Chris, sure do. anything else you'd like to say? Shop Talk